book of Luke, so not Luke, Ruth. There it is. Uh, so I invite you to open up to, to Ruth chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in the second half of, of Ruth chapter 2 uh, this morning. So just a, a bit of a quick review for us as we step into us. The story of Ruth is about a family that, that left Bethlehem, which was called the House of Bread. And they left during a famine, which means uh, the House of Bread had no bread. This family left the place that God had called them to, the, God that, the place that God had promised to be with them and to provide for them, and they, they left Bethlehem and they fled to Moab, which was a place away from God's presence, a place that served other gods. And so basically we have this story of a family that, that turned their back on God and, and went somewhere else to, to another people and to another gods to look to them to provide for them. This family was led by Elimelech, and his wife Naomi, they had two sons, Malon and Chilion. And when they were in Moab, we read that, that the father, Elimelech, dies. Uh, their sons, Malon and Chilion, uh, marry Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, and draw them into the story. Uh, and then the sons die as well. And then after some time, we hear that after ten years, Naomi hears that, that the fields near Bethlehem are producing a harvest again. And so she decides to, to pack up and go home. She prays a blessing over Ruth and over Orpah, asking that the Lord grant them rest, grant them husbands, and grant them kindness through their husbands, and then tells them not to come back with her. Stay, go back to your people, she says. Now the one daughter-in-law, Orpah, leaves and does go back to her people, but Ruth stays. And we've said she basically has a conversion experience. She's going to leave her people, all that she's grown up knowing, and, and follow Naomi back to her land, to her God. And Ruth binds herself to Naomi. Ruth 1.16, we read that she says, Don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And so through the end of chapter 1, we read Naomi and Ruth, they, they go back to Bethlehem together. And at the end, they, they arrive, and, and Naomi says to the villagers, they come out to greet her, they say, Don't call me Naomi any longer. Naomi meaning pleasant. But instead she says, call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, I left full and I've come back empty. She comes back empty, but not just empty, also broken and, and burdened and bitter. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of her hurt, in the midst of her bitterness, in the midst of her pain, what she undoubtedly felt while they were still in Moab, she still prays. And through those words, through the words she says as she, she prays over her daughter-in-laws and the, the words she says at the end of chapter 2, we, we see that, that in light of everything, she still believes in a God that is faithful even when she knows that she's been unfaithful. A God that's faithful even when we are unfaithful. And this is really a, a key idea throughout the book. This word, uh, the Hebrew word said is going to appear a lot. And, and this refers to God's kindness, God's loving kindness, His faithfulness, His, His favor. As we get into this morning's passage, we're going to talk about it a lot. We also saw last week as we looked at God's providence, that God isn't just leaving us alone in this struggle, even if it feels like we're alone, but rather He is actively engaged in our lives, even when we can't see it. Or even when it looks like just accidents and coincidence are happening, it's not those things, but it's, it's God's providence. It's God providing for us. And so as we continue to read Ruth 2 and into the later chapters of the book, we'll continue to see that, that Naomi and Ruth believe in a providential God, one that works in and through situations, even when it seems like 
a mess at the moment. And so we saw Naomi pray and believe in this providential God. And in the beginning of chapter 2, we saw that Ruth pursues also believing that providential God, believing that, that that God will provide for her and for Naomi. And then we start to see that, that Boaz is the means by which God is going to provide. We see he's the one that, that, that happens to answer Naomi's prayer and provide for Ruth and Naomi. So that's where we've come so far. We'll pick it up this morning at verse 14, Ruth 2, 14. We read here, at, Ruth, at, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, to Ruth, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Remember, uh, a few verses ago in verse 2, Ruth had gone out to, to work gleaning in the fields. Now the gleaner would expect it to, to uh, produce about as much as in our modern day someone collecting bottles and cans would take. It was a, a meager uh, existence. But she came and she happened to find a field that was being harvested. And this field happened to belong to Boaz. Which, reading all this at the beginning of chapter 2, is really the narrator's way of telling us that God is in charge, so pay attention to what's happening. And so after she's working in the fields, Boaz invites her to come and sit and eat with the others who have been harvesting. And so what we should start to notice here is that the narrator is trying to get us to pay attention that, that something's going on between these two, between Ruth and Boaz. And maybe there's a bit of a hint starting to form in our minds, and, and the narrator is trying to, to form this in our minds that, that Ruth isn't going to be alone too much longer. Now, the, the story of Ruth, as we've titled this morning message, is, is a story of redeeming love. This is a story of, of love as it was meant to be, the way God created it to be. It's a story of love that looks like God himself and points us to God himself. If we flip a, a lot further ahead in our Bibles, we are told in, in 1 John that, that God, in fact, is love. It's part of who he is. And so if we want to know what love is, we look at God, and then we see the clearest picture of what love is by actually looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ as well. And so since you and I were made as image bearers of God, we were meant to live in loving relationships with God and with others. And since we are created in the image of a God who is love, the fullest, most abundant life that you and I can live is one of love. Love for God and love for others. That's how Jesus sums up the entire law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But we have broken love, haven't we? We live in an age and a culture with a distorted, a, a perverted, and a, and a broken view of love. What this means is that the truth about God is, is not actually being displayed because the way that we live isn't, isn't actually looking like God's love. It isn't pointing people to God who is love. In fact, it's actually telling a lie about what God is like. And so when we look around, and unfortunately, many of us who are followers of Jesus as well, we, we haven't told this story well. We have, we have told a, a false story of who God is. And so as a church, as those who follow Jesus, we need to... Uh, we need to own this. We need to identify in the ways that, that we've missed out on, on properly pointing towards the God who is love, on, on, on living ways that don't look like Jesus and don't look like love. And we do need to apologize for that because we are telling a lie about what God is like. And sadly, this, this happens all the time. 
And so we need to keep coming back and, and asking the Lord for help and for grace and for forgiveness in this so that we can rightly show the world what he's like. So that he can redeem love in us and through us. Now many have said this, this little book of Ruth is a great book for singles. It's a great way to consider love as we uh, think about heading towards marriage perhaps. But, but if we look at this book within the context of a redeeming love, of pointing us towards God's love, Consider the three main characters. We have Naomi, who is a widow. We have Ruth, who's, who's also a widow, but much younger, and perhaps even in her, her late teens, her early 20s, or mid-20s. And we've got Boaz, who uh, seems to be single, uh, older than Ruth, maybe more of a contemporary of Naomi than Ruth, but also single and waiting. And so, single or not, I suspect that every one of us can identify with one of these characters in part or all of them at some point in our life, too. Has anyone ever felt bitter? Has anyone felt like you've been, you've been left behind? That you started out full but have returned empty? Can you identify with Naomi in that? Has anyone ever felt like an outsider, like you've been looked down on? That those who around you are treating you like a less than. That you've, that you've come from a, a broken, a messy family. Can you identify with Ruth in that? Maybe. Can anyone uh, identify more with Boaz? You've been, you've been blessed with skills or wealth. You've, you've, you've lived a, a, a good life. It seems like God is with you. You're following the Lord. But it, it still seems like you're missing something. You, you long for, for company. You ever felt lonely? I love how one writer puts it. These three characters, they needed love redeemed just like we need love redeemed. They needed their hearts healed just like we need our hearts healed. And they needed their hopes fulfilled just like we need our hopes fulfilled. He says, we live in a culture that's so radically destroyed relationships and what pure God-like love looks like that not only do Naomi and Ruth and Boaz need love redeemed, but we need it and our culture needs it too. He says it's tragic how so many come to see other people just as for their own use and for their own pleasure. And when that person is no longer fulfilling a need, they're, they're tossed aside. And someone or something else is found to take their place. And so if we want to see love redeemed in our relationships and in our, in our dating and in our marriages and in our friendships, we do need to look to this story. And so as we dig into this text this morning, we want to look at Three things. First, we want to look at the story of love. We want to look at this story as, as a piece of the grand narrative of Scripture. The story of, of the love of God and what He is about. And we want to look at the way of love. The ways that we have been practicing love. And finally, throughout the story this morning, we're going to see the timing of love. That there is a, a time and a place that God has worked out for all of this to happen. And so first of all, the story of love. Now, we have talked about this idea here at Trinity in the past when we went through our, our Gospel Fluency series, and so let me give credit for, for much of this language to uh, Jeff Bannerstell and the team at Saturate as well. But we need to remember that, that every one of us lives lives under a dominant theme or a dominant story. And the story that we believe, uh, we take, we, we, we adopt and adopt this story that, that seems to make the most sense of the world around us. And so we, we live in light of that. And all of us are formed by that story or those stories that we have learned and believed and adopted. We are a story-formed people. Now, many or most of us are living out the story that we were taught by our parents and, and raised in. 
And we may or may not have kind of dug deep into that story to evaluate if it's the, the most true or best true or the best understanding of the world. And since we're all raised by imperfect parents, sorry, parents, each one of us has been raised with an imperfect story. And if we don't take some time to examine and re-examine that story in light of the grand narrative of God's story, we can often wind up living, living in a story that, that's broken or that needs to be redeemed, that's imperfect. And what it means that, is that if we are first and foremost created as, as image bearers of a God who is love, and if we are first and foremost created as those image bearers, and we're, we're living a broken story, that means that, that our understanding of God's love is also broken and needs repair. For many of us, when we are living these broken stories, the result is, is that we don't have an accurate picture of who God is. The story isn't entirely true, and so what we believe about God isn't entirely true. And so in this as well, we need to ask for God's help and for His forgiveness. We also need to be in our Bibles, studying the text, learning, and then displaying what real love, what, what God's love is like. I love how Jeff Bannerstout puts this. He says, as followers of Jesus, we are called to show God's glory and tell his story. That's what we are, are here to do. And what that means that, is that the way we interact with one another, maybe even especially now while we're social distancing or, or, or socially isolated, we need to demonstrate the reality of who God is. It's about the reality of God being made visible in our lives. And not only do we want to show his glory, not only do we want to show who he is, but we want to tell his story. We want everything we do to be informed by the word of God. And especially we want to be informed by the, the person and work of Jesus and the realities of how he lived when he walked this earth. The Apostle Paul is pretty clear in his letter on the Colossians when he says, listen, look to Christ who is the visible image of the invisible God. That means if we want to know what God is like, we need to look to Jesus. And we need to study how he lived and how he treated people and how he treated those around him. And to do this, we need to be in our Bibles. And so as we're hopefully starting to see our, our relationships, they aren't just about us. They're ultimately about declaring who God is and what he's like and how he loves and declaring that to the world around us. Similarly, Paul is clear in Ephesians that, that marriage isn't just about a husband and a wife either, but it's about modeling and telling the story of Jesus and his love for his bride, the church. And so we need to keep all of this in mind, all of this in mind with the, the big story, the, the grand narrative of Scripture, the story that is one of God's love, God's said love. This word said is, is a word for God's covenant love, his, his faithful love to his people. The word is often translated into English, and this is usually how we see it in Ruth here, as, as kindness, or grace, or favor. And we've already seen it. We're only a chapter and a half into Ruth, but we've seen it several times. This is, this is the story, Ruth, is of God's hesed. In verse 8 and 9, Naomi's prayer says, May God deal with you kindly. She's asking that God would bless her daughter-in-laws with this hesed, this, this covenant love, this love that requires nothing for it to be given. Today, when we get down to verse 20 in a little bit, we'll see that when Naomi sees how Boaz took care of Ruth, she says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, whose has said love, has not forsaken the living or the dead. See, the, the story of the Bible, the grand narrative of the Bible, is a love story. 
The Bible starts with the wedding in the Garden of Eden and then shows us a marriage gone wrong. But it ends with a marriage redeemed between Christ and his church in Revelation. And everything in between those two pieces is a collection of, of smaller stories that tell the love of God being expressed in relationship with people. And that's what we have here in the book of Ruth. We have, have a micro story pointing us to the macro story of God's faithful love. And so we're going to see that Boaz is a, is a type, or he's a, he's a character that foreshadows what's going to happen when Jesus ultimately comes. That's what this story is all about. It's about a kind of love that, that's given without requiring anything to be returned. It's, it's a hesed love. In the, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is one of my, my favorite kids' Bibles, it's the one that we use here as a gift for child dedications as well, Sally Lloyd-Jones described this hesed love as, as a never-stopping, a never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. I like that. I like that a lot. As a bit of an aside, in that storybook Bible too, I really appreciate how Sally Lloyd-Jones does a great job of weaving all the stories that she tells into the grand narrative of the Bible. The subtitle of her book is just that she shows how uh, every story whispers Jesus' name. I would encourage you to pick that up, uh, even if you don't have kids to read it too. In our house, we, we've read this one with our kids a bunch of times, and, and they've heard about God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the kind of love that we all need. It's, that's the kind of love that we all want, too, isn't it? And that love is, is so different than the love the world offers, where it says, you know, love is a feeling, comes and goes. Maybe uh, it's different than the, the world that says love is just something you fall into, which means you can then fall out of it. But the world doesn't offer us a biblical picture of love. That's, that's not what God is like. God doesn't just fall in love with you. God doesn't feel something and then decide, I, I'll, I'll be with you. But God is love. And he has chosen to show us his love and to be love for us. Here's what God says through Moses to his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the, the start of the covenant that God made with humanity. And this, this covenant, this statement that he made, it wasn't that, that God and, and Israel had sat down and negotiated and worked out, well, if, if you do this, God, then we'll do this. It wasn't like both sides got what they wanted. God led them out of Egypt and then made this divine promise to his people. This is the foundation of our covenant with God, that he is love. Now later in scripture, we do see God say, listen, if you follow my commands, you'll get blessings, and if you don't, you'll receive curses. But that's talking about something a little bit different here. That's God saying, if you respond to my love that I've promised you, because I am love, I will be your God, you'll be my people. If you respond to that and follow me in the ways that I'm saying you should go because I know you and I love you, you will find yourself blessed. But if you reject my love and you turn away from me and you, you leave me, then you'll find yourself outside of my protection and my provision. But the love is always there. That never changes. I love how Another writer declares this. He says, God's love is faithful to us no matter how many times we have been unfaithful to him. God has not rejected you even though you have rejected him over and over again. God is pursuing you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love so that you see that love isn't something that you give because you're getting it. But true love is that, that I give regardless of the return. That, that love... Uh, that, that I give it even if it doesn't go well, even in the times where it doesn't go well. And we need to relearn this kind of love. 
We need to be reminded that, that God loves us when we're unlovable. He's faithful when we are unfaithful. He's committed to a covenant with his people, even though he knew that they would drop the ball time and time and time again. And in a time and an age today when the world around us appears to be falling apart, when so many of the things that we've looked to for our, our meaning and value and stability are crumbling around us, God is still there saying, I love you. I'm for you. I'm pursuing you. Jesus gave his life for you. God will always be faithful. He will never let you down, no matter how many times we ourselves rebel and turn away from him. That's the hope that we have. That's the message that, that we as followers of Jesus need to be sharing with others, with everyone. The good news of the gospel is that God gives us unending love and grace and mercy to forgive us and transform us and keep us till the end when we get to be with him. And that's good news. The next couple of weeks we'll be talking about Easter and the ultimate uh, description, the ultimate showing of God's love that, that Jesus came and gave his life for us. Now, in this story, again, Boaz displays this kind of love. He's, he's not perfect, but he is a really good Christ-like figure that points us towards the love that God has for us. And so just before we get back to the text, let me ask you, what story is your life living? What story are you believing? Or whose, whose story are you living under? Are you living under God's story where, where it's all about loving Him and loving others and, and, and showing God's love to others and pointing them back to Him? Or are you living and believing another story where, where it's all about you and building yourself up and fulfilling every desire and whim that you experience? See, the, the story of love that we are believing and living is so important. The second piece we do want to see and want to talk about here is, is the way of love. This is the way that we practice. It's, it's what we do. It's how we live. It's how we learn how to love. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he will go, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. Now, this verse isn't just for kids, but it's for all relationships as well. Consider uh, how you start a relationship often but not always sets the tone for how things end up. If you start a, a friendship or a relationship or, or start dating and head towards getting married thinking, what value can this person add to my life? The direction you'll head is vastly different than if you're living out God's way of loving God's story saying, how can I love and serve this person to point them to the love of God? How will I choose to love this person even when we come up against the hard obstacles and hard things in this life? Those are two vastly different directions when you're heading when pursuing person or pursuing love. And so I hope what we can do when we go through the rest of our time here this morning and, and through the rest of the book of Ruth and, and really anytime we come to a text in the Bible is see what we can learn about redeeming love and restoring love to how God designed it to be for us and how we can appropriately then reflect God's love to the world around us. And so let's look at this relationship that's developing between Ruth and Boaz. Again, verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here with me and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. Boaz invites Ruth to come and share a meal. But he invited her to come uh, with and, and into a community. He's inviting her into something more than what she deserved. He's saying, listen, I know you're a Moabite. 
I know where you've come from, but I want you to feel like you belong here, and I, I want you to come in. He's, he's treating her almost like family here. And this is a huge shift in the story, and it goes against a lot of the prevailing custom and culture of the day. He wants her to feel like she belongs, that she's welcomed in. But the second thing we want to notice about this budding relationship here is that he's building a relationship with her, and, and at this point we don't know if maybe there are inklings of a romantic relationship stirring up or not, but he's building a relationship surrounded by people who would know him well. He started and he's building this relationship in community. And now we all need community. And in this time of, of social isolation and distancing, it's, it's really hard in many ways, and I get that. But let me suggest that, that if you want to build a healthy relationship, whether it's getting into a dating relationship or headed towards marriage or, or building and growing the marriage that you're in, you have to do this in community. It cannot be done alone. You need to have people around you who know you, who can speak into your life and help you determine the way you should go. You need people who you can lean on when things get hard. So think about who you want advising you. Do you want the latest talking head on social media telling you what your relationship should look like? Or do you want someone who actually knows you, who knows your strengths, knows your weaknesses, who loves you, cares about you? Who are you letting invest in you and your relationships? Is it just, again, the magazine article, the social media, or is it people who, who love you and care for you and want the best for you? This is why we, we talk about community so much at church. Look then how the meal ends in verse 15. So Ruth ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Remember, we talked about this, uh, I think, last week, where, where the gleaning laws said that, that those who were harvesting had to, to leave behind what they dropped, not, you know, not cut right to the edge of the field, but leave something there. But what Boaz here is doing is going way beyond what's required of him by the law. He's giving her best. He's giving her his best, and he's, he's making it easy for her. He continues and says, and, and don't reproach her. Actually, pull some out from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now an ephah was about somewhere between probably 30 and 50 pounds, so think a big giant bag of dog food is what she had gotten in one day. This was about a month's supply of food for a paid worker. This is way beyond what she could have been asking for or dreaming in her wildest dreams. Now listen, this little picture here is also a picture of what the church is to look like. Ruth now had the harvesters actually helping her out, pulling from the sheaves and leaving some for her, so that she and Naomi could have their needs met. That's what the church is to be like, when we, we come around and generously help one another, and are generous with those around us, too. And so let me throw this out there. In the midst of the state of, of social distancing and, and self-isolation, if you have needs, would you let us know? You can throw it in the comments on the video. You can send us a message on Facebook or, or email us, uh, myself or, or Hanafei or, or the office here. We would love to first pray with you, but then do what we can to meet those needs. And the flip side is also true. If you have means, if you have the ability to help in any way as well, let us know. And so we can try and connect those with needs and those with means so we can make sure our community is cared for. This is one simple way that we can demonstrate to those around us God's redeeming love.
Back to the story, we see Boaz was generous. There's no question about it. He was, he was quick to give, and he models Christ-likeness for us in this way. So we need to, as well, as we wrestle with the story and the implications of what God's trying to teach us through this story, we can ask ourselves, how can we practice generosity in this season? How can we teach the people around us about generosity? How can we teach our kids to grow up being generous? Because that doesn't always come natural to us as kids, does it? Now you've heard it said, and I'd agree, and I would try to make this a target aim for myself as well, that, that you can tell a lot about a person by how they treat someone who can't pay them back. That's what we're seeing here too. Boaz is, is showing this has said love that we've been talking about this morning. There's, there's no strings attached here. He has margin, he has means, and he's giving of it generously. And again, even if we don't know yet, know yet that, that Ruth and Boaz are going to, spoiler alert, end up married, but rather what we're seeing here is just we're seeing a man act in the way that he's been trained to go, like that Proverbs 22, verse 6. He was trained and he, he lived out the story of God's love, and we're seeing that stirred into action here. Sinclair Ferguson says this, the real test of character and the ultimate test of spiritual maturity is not how someone reacts to the great, the famous, the rich, or the noble, but how that person has responded to the marginalized, the unnoticed, the poor, the struggler, and the needy. That's what, what Boaz is modeling for us here. God's love that gives, and his love that, that notices and builds up and is generous with no expectation of any of that being returned. He's a giver, Boaz is. And he's generous because he loves his Lord. He's not just following the letter of the law here, trying to keep the checklist, but he goes way beyond it. He understands the, the heart of the law and goes way above and beyond what he's asked. And he doesn't look grudgingly at the minimum of what's required for him, but instead he understands the, the, the heart of God and he pours out generously all that he can. He understands that, that the law isn't just a checklist, but the heart of the law is to, to care for those who are on the margins. He understands that the Ten Commandments aren't just a checklist that we try and keep, but another way of saying instead that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He sees the law not as a checklist, but as a tutor that leads us in the way of the Lord, that leads us to, to grow in a kingdom perspective and to grow in our ability to show God's glory and tell his story. Now, as we're heading towards the end here, we're going to just kind of fly through these last few verses. But look at what Naomi says to Ruth when, when Ruth gets back home later that evening with this monumental dog food bag-sized harvest. Verse 19, she asks her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, him whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Notice how right away Naomi speaks a blessing. She sees this amazing outpouring of redeeming love of this, has said love, and she speaks a blessing over that to the one who was modeling that and showing that. She's pouring out here her hope, her, her soul, and her, her will for the good of another. She recognizes that, that the Lord has been with Ruth, and that God has worked through Boaz, and she asked God to return that blessing to Boaz from the vast stores of God's own love. 
It's beautiful here, isn't it? Rather than saying, great work, Ruth, go back again and maybe you'll get another month's care for us. Instead, she says, let's pray for and bless Boaz. Naomi speaks life and blessing into their situation, which is still hard to be sure. But she and Ruth are starting to see God's hand in it. So let me ask you, what kinds of words are you speaking? Do your, your words bring life to those around you, or do they tear others down? Do they sound like blessings, or do they sound like grumblings or even cursings? Consider, too, in just a chapter's time in the book here, we've seen a transformation in Naomi, haven't we? How does she describe herself when she came back to Bethlehem at the end of chapter 1? Bitter. And what's she doing now? She's blessing. She's, she's recognizing that she is blessed. Now, I would guess that many of us know people who are a, a modern version of chapter 1 Naomi, let's call her. Bitter, angry, hurt, broken, resentful. And if you know someone like that, if someone like that is coming to your mind right now, maybe this week think about it and pray for how you might be a blessing to them. How you might show them that said love of God that pours out love without asking for anything in return. Maybe even right now, with just a couple words, pray a blessing over them, that they would get a glimpse of this kind of real love. Carrying on, verse 21, And Ruth the Moabite said, Beside, he said to me, You should keep close to my young men until you have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Now again, not only is Boaz being generous and providing for Ruth and Naomi here, but he's also protecting her. He's looking out for her. Now, ladies, this isn't a verse in the Bible that says you're weak and you need a strong man to look out for you. But remember the context that we're reading into here. We looked at it at the beginning of chapter 1 when this was in the time of the judges. And when we study that original context and culture, we realize that this was an extremely dangerous time and, and culture for a foreign, widowed, marginalized woman. This was a culture where it was seen as okay, even though this was never what God said, that it was okay for men to take advantage of women whenever they wanted to. And so this is a dangerous time for Ruth. But Boaz here is acting again out of this said love and protecting her. He doesn't trust others around to act the same way that he is. So verse 23, as we wrap up. So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. He stays with, she stays with him for a long time, and she lived with her mother-in-law. As we close, as we consider all of these things we talked about this morning, let me ask, whose story are you living for? Are you living for, for God's story where we, where we want to redeem and show love and, and show people his glory and tell his story? Or are you living for your own story where you try to, try to collect and, and, and gain all that you have to make your life as good as you can? Maybe you've never thought about it. Maybe you've never thought about the, the, the foundation, the worldview you've built and who you're believing in and what, what story you're, you're living under. But can I challenge you to do that this week? Lots of us have some extra time on our hands. Let me, let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the team to come back. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for this micro story that ties into the grand narrative of the Bible that points us to your love. Thank you for uh, the character of Boaz, 
who, who loved and provided and cared for Ruth and Naomi and, and, and gave us a glimpse of, of your love as well. God, thank you that you are love. Thank you that you are faithful even when we've been unfaithful. Thank you that you are, are still true to your promises even when we've rejected them. Jesus, I thank you that you came as the, the best, the, the truest, the visible image of the invisible God, that we can see in you, in your work, in your character, the love of God. And so I ask that you would, you would show us how, how we are to care for people, how to rightly relate with God and with others and with creation. Jesus, thank you that you were perfectly obedient to the Father, and, and out of that obedience you went to the cross. And you, died, and, and you died in our place. You took the, the punishment for all the ways that we have believed lies or told lies or, or lived lies or just outright rebelled against God. You took the punishment for those. And in exchange, we got your righteousness, your, your right standing with God so that, that we can cling to your work and word and ask for forgiveness and, and have that, that chesed love, that, that loving kindness, that grace, that favor, that love of God given to us so that we can know the one who created us, the one who loves us the most, the one whose image we were created in. As we come out of this and we head into Easter, I pray that you would stir up in us just a, a deeper understanding of, of all that you've done for us, Jesus. And in this time of, of uncertainty and anxiety, help us to, to root what we know to be true in you, Jesus, in you, God. That you are our firm foundation. You are the, the everlasting God. That you, you don't grow weary. But you are always strong, and you are sovereign, and you are ruling in and over these situations. We thank you for all these things, and we pray all of this in your good name. Amen.